0: Hey there, I'm Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast Walking with Dante, a podcast that has walked to the end of the eighth canto of Purgatorio. And for that matter, to the end of Ante Purgatory, those slopes of the mountain and those cantos in Purgatorio that precede the actual gate of Purgatory itself. We're about to get underway with the real business of this canticle, that is purgating the soul, cleansing the soul, purifying it, bringing it back to a state of innocence. Oh, there's a big topic for you. But we have one thing left. Left to do. We have to end out Canto 8. This will end our time in Ante Purgatory. If you remember, angels are sitting over a valley of negligent rulers. They have mm, fought off a snake. Fought off seems too big a word to use for what happened. They flew up in the air, and a hideously narcissistic snake was banished from this beautiful floral dale where the negligent rulers are hanging out, the last gasp of the Elysian fields and maybe of the classical landscape. Here's the end of Canto 8, lines 109 through 139. This is my English language translation. You can find it, as always, on my website, markscarborough.com or walkingwithdante.com. You can read along there. And more importantly, you can continue the conversation with me about any parts of the poem that you so desire if you go to my website and drop down the page to the comment section. Without any other delay, let's get to it. The lines 109 through 139 of Canto 8 of Purgatorio. The Shade who had gotten closer to the judge when called hadn't for a moment taken his eyes off of me during that battle. May the lantern that leads you from up top find all the needed wax in your judgment to raise you to its enameled heights, he began. If you've come with true news of the Magra or its surrounding regions, tell me about it. For I was once a great man there. I was called... Corrado Malaspina. Not the old guy, but the one descended from him. I carried the love that is purified here to my own kind. Oh, I said to him, I've never set foot in that part of the world, but is there anywhere in all of Europe Where it's not distinguished. The fame that brings your house honor sounds out among its lords and its region. Even those who haven't been there know about it. And so that I may go on up above, I give you my word that your people do not bring dishonor to the glory of their riches. Or their swords. Even if a wicked leader should pervert the world, your people will continue on the straight path and turn away from the bad road because of both custom and nature. And he replied, Get this the sun won't lie down seven times in its zodiacal bed that is straddled by the four legs of the ram before events will this courteous opinion into your head with nails much stronger than the ones you or even other men have used if the course of events is delayed no longer. Well, that didn't sound very nice, did it? Nail it into your head? No, it isn't, and yet it is. I want to talk through this complicated passage, who this Corrado is, and how he functions in Canto 8. I want to talk more about the structure of Canto 8 as a whole, because it bears on the meaning, specifically, of the end of the Canto. So, given all we have to do, we might as well get cracking. The passage starts, the shade who had gotten closer to the judge when called. Remember, Nino Visconti has called out, hey, Carrado, get over here, before we had the mm, street theater of the angels. That guy is this guy here. And apparently he hasn't taken his eyes off the pilgrim Dante for a moment during the battle. This, again, is a curious passage because it downplays that battle. What battle? It wasn't much of a battle. In fact, it's so much not a battle that this guy, Corrado, as we find out, doesn't even look at it he watches the pilgrim why because we know the pilgrim's in the body and the pilgrim has shocked everybody by saying he's still corporeal apparently this nightly street theater we take it that it happens every night is so common that this figure Corrado hasn't even paid attention to it and perhaps this also says something about his character because he ends up being a very chivalrous courteous, respectful, and respected individual, given all that, perhaps all of this dumb show with angels and snakes just doesn't attract him very much. He's already above all of that. And we know that because of the first words he uses. May the lantern that leads you from up top find all the needed wax in your judgment to raise you to its enameled heights. This is unbelievably florid rhetoric. To say the least, let's unpack this for a minute. May the lantern that leads you. Okay, so in other words, the pilgrim is being lit on his journey in some way. And the leading is really coming from way up high. Although it's coming through this lantern, may this lantern that you carry that lights your way find all the needed wax in your judgment, all the needed fuel in your will, all the oh, what do we want to say, the gasoline <laughs> in your inner fortitude. In other words, this light better keep burning wax fuel it's got to have all of this and it's going to get that fuel from you from inside you pilgrim so the light does come down from on high and it is leading you through this lantern but you've got to fuel it and you've got to keep going to raise you to its and this strange phrase enameled heights or its enameled summit, the reference here is to the top of Mount Purgatory, the Garden of Eden. But if you haven't read Purgatorio, you wouldn't catch this reference. You'd say, wait, what? There's some place that's really beautiful, like good enamels, some cloisonne spot ahead of us? You mean, w- w- what is all that about? This reminds us of the fact that Dante seems to be leaning on you to have read the poem and then reread it in order to understand it because if this is your first time through, it doesn't make much sense and it's really florid. But there's one little quibble here and that is, what is the lantern? Most critics, 99.99% of the critics say that this lantern that leads you is God's grace and that God leads you on toward the top of Mount Purgatory. But a few critics make a change here and I love the change. They say that Corrado is really talking about Virgil. May Virgil, since Virgil is the one leading the pilgrim, may Virgil have enough fuel <laughs> to get you up to the top of Mount Purgatory. I don't have any indication that Carrado is pointing Virgil out but I sure like it. Robert Durling leans pretty hard into the Virgil explanation of the lantern. I don't see anybody interacting all that much with Virgil in this passage. Virgil had been present before, but he's kind of been quiet through a lot of this. I don't know why someone would point him out, but I like it. (laughs) Corrado might be worried that Virgil's going to play out before he gets to the top of Purgatory, and no wonder Virgil's a damned soul. There would be worry that he would. Play out before the top of Purgatory, I uh, have no fear he won't. But still, and nonetheless, there would be worry there. Corrado continues on. If you've come with true news of the Val di Magra and its surrounding regions, this is where. the the Malaspina family has their domains. So if you've come with true news of the Valdi and surrounding regions, tell me about it. For I was once a great man there. I was called Corrado Malaspina. Not the old guy, but the one descended from him. Now, let me just stop a minute. It is very rare in comedy for a figure to so clearly identify themselves. Usually we have paraphrastic phrasing. Usually we have to take dropped hints. Usually a figure is named by someone else if they're named at all. And in this case, this guy just steps out and names himself proudly and says, Oh, not my older, well, in this case, grandfather, not the older Corrado, but me. I'm the younger one. Corrado. Curado, Malaspina. It's so interesting that Dante gives him this much space, and there are reasons for this. This is the Malaspina family, and as I said, their domains are around the Val di Magra, particularly on the border lines between Lombardy and Tuscany, in a region called Lunigiana. They are a very powerful force here. And when Curado says not the old when he's referring to his grandfather, Corrado I. His grandfather, Corrado I, married the natural daughter, you know, the daughter out of wedlock, the natural daughter of Frederick II, Emperor Frederick II, the Stupramonde. Remember done, Farinata's tomb? I should tell you that Conrad II died in 1294, and you would expect for such a powerful family for there to be a huge squabble over the next steps, given that Conrad II died without heirs, or with without a formal air. But in 1294 or before that, when he died, he set it up so that Malaspina domains were divided evenly amongst many members of his family. And this even-handed division of property led to a great deal of stability and peace amongst this family. So much stability and peace and Corrado Malaspina's attitude toward his family is so generous that we see that his problem here is I carried the love that is purified here to my own kind. In other words, I paid more attention to my family than I did to divine love, and because of that, I'm here with the negligent rulers. But if he is here with the negligent rulers, this fellow is certainly one of the idealized and righteous figures. Dante replies to him, oh, I've never set foot in that part of the world. Now, you should just know, we'll talk about this in a minute, that that's a lie. (laughs) <laughs> in 1300, true enough, Dante has not set foot in the Carrado lands. But oh, by the time the poem's being written, Dante has in fact been in Lurigiana and in fact has had dealings with the Malaspina family. So to say I've never set foot in that part of the world is disingenuous. But given the dating of the poem in 1300, it would have been true of Dante at that moment. And I can I just say... That right here, you can hear me fudging the distance between the pilgrim walking across the known universe and the poet writing the poem, because the distance is broken here. Remember we talked about it's a convenient fiction for poet and pilgrim to be divided? Well, here's a spot where, in fact, that division is kind of funky, because, all right, maybe the pilgrim hasn't set foot there but the poet has which gives the line its necessary texture and irony which means the poet is never far off from the pilgrim. Anyway he says is there anywhere in all of Europe where it's not distinguished you come from an honorable family and the praise gets larded on here thick. The fame the pilgrim says that brings your house honor sounds out among its lords and its region so it's not not only the leaders, but even the inhabitants of their domains, even those who haven't been there know about it. And so that I may go on up above, the pilgrim says, as if this is part of the journey, part of the way he's going to get up to that enameled summit. I give you my word that your people do not bring dishonor to the glory of their riches, that is, they're generous or their swords. That is, they're courteous, or to put it in another word, they're chivalrous. This emphasis on liberality and chivalry is part of the overall complement to this very storied family. Dante is, in fact, connected to this family in 1306. Franceschino Malaspina di Mulazzo, that is, one of this fellow's heirs, when he divided the Malaspina properties up amongst his many kin, one of his heirs hired Dante to be a representative of of the family during peace negotiations with the Bishop of Looney. The Malaspinas were often at odds with the members of the bishopric of Looney and, in fact, had been at battle with them. And Dante was called in as a peace negotiator to represent the interests of this family. So you see Dante is very tied to them. In 1308, Dante wrote a letter to a member of this Malaspina family praising the family's generosity. And here we see in comedy the great payback. Dante is complimenting this family, really emphasizing how noble they are. But we don't have to take that cynically. Let's just back it up and not see it with a sneer, but instead say we have seen a lot of bad leaders here, from Emperor Rudolph all the way down. We've seen a lot of people who can't keep control, and we've heard a lot about strife on the Italian peninsula. All of this in cantos six through eight of Purgatorio, comes down onto a noble family known for their generosity. And I think we should really pay close attention to that. Dante is wrapping all of this invective and prophetic diatribe and failure up by saying, in the end, they're are people who do good there are people even in positions of power even when they pay more attention to their families than to divine love who in fact foster goodness in the world around them so much so Dante says that even if a wicked leader should pervert the world and you should know this is heavily debated who is this Caporeo, this wicked, evil head. Who is this wicked leader that would pervert the world? People say, oh, it's Satan. Other people say, no, it's Pope Boniface VIII, Dante's great archenemy, or perhaps some warlord or local leader. I'm not sure we can come to any conclusions who the wicked leader is that would pervert the world. But even if that would happen, the pilgrim says, your people will continue on the straight path and turn away from the bad road because of both custom and nature. Here's the point we should take away. People are routinely, what, downgraded, uh, routinely corrupted by bad leadership. But in fact, there is good leadership in the world. And there are people who are so secure in their generosity, their liberality, their openness, that they cannot even be undone by bad leadership, just think about that for a minute. Think about your place in this very uncertain world. Think about holding on to your generosity as a way to hold on to your goodness, your liberality, your open-homed spirit, the open door of your house. and. This plays actually into what's just ahead of us, the gate of purgatory. And I don't want to get too far there, but please let me have just a moment to say how this plays ahead of us. When we finally get to the gate, there's going to be an angel, you know, of course, an angel at the gate of purgatory. And what the angel is going to say is that he is commissioned to Air on the side of opening the door rather than keeping it locked shut. And I think that that ties here. I think we're getting a little breath of that here. The open door generosity of the Malaspina family, even to Dante and to others, has made them a beacon of goodness in a very dark world. Corrado replies, get this, the sun won't lie down seven times in the bed of its zodiac. So, in other words, seven years won't pass. So, Aries is uh, the sign that's referred to here, the ram, straddled by the four legs of the ram. That's where the sun is. The sun is, in fact, in Aries in the spring. And seven times round, it won't happen. You won't get seven years ahead of the year 1300. Before, Corrado says, events will pound this courteous opinion into your head with nails much stronger than the ones you or even other men have used if the course of events is delayed now longer. Now, that sounds really bad. But in fact, what he's saying is the generosity of my family will be extended to you securely by nails. It'll be nailed solid. And we will, as we now know, will embrace you as indeed they did when they assigned him in 1306 to be their peace negotiator. My family will take care of you. And in fact, that's such a promise, such a promise prophecy promise that it's going to be happen with nails it's just absolutely certain notice right here at the end of ante purgatory we're at the very end of it right here the end of all of this bit that has happened to us from Cato forward notice right here we get a slight hint of Dante's exile That little hint of his exile, that in seven years you're going to find out how much you need the hospitality of families like mine. That little hint of the exile gives this whole wonderful praise-filled ending of Canto 8 just a little bit of sadness, a little bit of tragedy, a little texture on it. It's so beautifully done. Lots of praise to this family But there's sorrow down underneath it all, the sorrow of exile, and the words themselves nailed into your head, (laughs) as I translated it, even carry that sorrow forward. That's why it seems hard, because we seem as if we're in this place of grandiose liberality and a family highly praised for its generosity and its chivalry. Even here, we hear this hint of exile, which gives it just this slight edge of sadness. Let's think for a second about the structure of Canto Eight of Purgatorio. If you go back to the opening, remember we had sailors and pilgrims setting out on the first day of their journeys, and they feel the loss of their friends and their home. Then the angels descend. Then we have Nino Visconti stand up and talk about his, whatever else we want to say about it, dishonorable wife, Beatrice. I know. I know. We talked about the misogyny. True. But let's just look at it, how it happens on the page. His dishonorable wife, Beatrice, and his honorable daughter, Giovanna, who can pray for him. Then the serpent appears and the angels banish it. Then Carrado II steps up and gets all this praise for his family and welcome. And then we find out that the pilgrim will, in fact, have to rely on the generosity of this very family. Think about how that ties together. The opening was about pilgrims and sailors setting out on a journey and missing home. And the ending of the canto is is about finding a family who will embrace you. The middle of the canto between the angels and the serpent is about a mixed bag of a family, a bad wife and a good daughter, whatever else you think about that. And you know that I am very displeased with it. It is a bad wife and a Good daughter, so a mixed family. In fact, um, what do we want to say that a good child can come from a bad source? That's kind of the rhetoric that's going on with Nino Visconti. Into the middle of all of this is inserted the angels and the serpent. This is really beautifully structured. Sailors and pilgrims setting out saying goodbye ending with a family welcoming our pilgrim into their arms, known for their generosity, the loss at the open, the loss and sadness at the close of exile, and yet also the remembrance of love and the continual interplay of love and protectorship. And the angels are protecting this valley in much the same way that the Malaspina family will ultimately come to protect our pilgrim and poet Dante in his exile. So it's all wrapping nicely into itself and it's ending on an ethic of care. Can I talk about that for just a second? An ethic of care. Just allow me for a moment to sit on this and talk about it, because here's one of the things that bothers me most pressingly in the modern world. I see all kinds of posts on social media for lost dogs, hurt dogs, lost cats, hurt cats, and people are very sympathetic to these animals that are in danger. I see even hit raccoons. I see, you know, run over possums on social media. Clearly the algorithm thinks I'm interested in these things. People rescuing possums that have been hit by cars and getting them to vets and getting them cleaned up and healed and back out in the wild again. And this is pretty honorable stuff. And yet, In my daily life, I pass a lot of homeless people. I pass people who don't have anything, who are in dire straits. I live, as you know, very rurally in New England. There's about 40 empty acres to the side of our property. It's been empty for generations. There's never been a house there. It's owned, but it's empty. And for about a week, a young man tented in that property. He was a vagrant. He had no place to be. This young man was camping in a winter environment. It's winter here now in New England in a very cold landscape with very little around him. Why am I drawn to sad puppies and sad cats? And yet humans sometimes escape my notice. The poverty, the absolute desperate circumstances of people. It takes a lot to gin in me up the liberality to approach them. Maybe we should all try to change that. Maybe we should all try to focus on generosity. Maybe we should feel toward our fellow humans the way we feel toward abandoned cats and dogs on social media. Maybe that's telling us that our priorities aren't necessarily in the right place, and maybe Dante and the comedy are helping us here at the end of Ante purgatory to see that in fact the whole point, the real point, is to take care of each other. I'd like to take a break to let you know how you can support the podcast, Walking with Dante. You can give it a rating or even write a review on most of the podcast platforms. Doing so helps this podcast stay present in the streaming services. If you'd like to do more, please consider donating to this work. I've chosen not to seek sponsors, have in fact turned down some sponsors, but paying for a hosting site, securing the streaming feed, buying the rights to the music and the sound effects, keeping the web domains, it all costs. To help, there's a PayPal link. You can find it in the podcast player. You can find it on my website, markscarbro.com, and you can find it in the podcast notes for each episode. Consider it a tip for your Dante-obsessed street busker. Now back to this episode. One more time, this complicated passage. Purgatorio, Canto 8, lines 109 through 139. The shade who had gotten closer to the judge when called hadn't for a moment taken his eyes off of me during that battle. May the lantern that leads you from up top find all the needed wax in your judgment to raise you to its enameled heights, he began. If you've come with true news of the Valdemagra. Or its surrounding regions? Tell me about it, for I was once a great man there. I was called Corrado Malaspina, not the old guy, but the one descended from him. I carried the love that is purified here to my own kind. Oh, I said to him, I've never set foot in that part of the world, but is there anywhere in all of Europe where it's not distinguished? The fame that brings your house honor sounds out among its lords and its region. Even those who haven't been there know about it. And so that I may go on up above, I give you my word that your people do not bring dishonor to the glory of their riches or of their swords. Even if a wicked leader should pervert the world, your people will continue on the straight path and turn away from the bad road because of both custom and nature. And Curado replied, get this, the sun won't lie down seven times in its bed from the zodiac that is straddled by the four legs of the ram before events will pound this courteous opinion into your head with nails much stronger than the ones you or even other men have used if the course of events is delayed no longer. We've come to the end of anti-purgatory, and let's just say it was quite the journey to get here. Up ahead of us lies the gate of purgatory itself in Canto 9. We are going to finally enter the meat of the matter, the main purpose of purgatorio, which is the purgating of the souls. And we enter it knowing that liberality, that open-handedness, is the way to find your way through purgatory thanks for being on this journey with me. I will see you on the steps of the gate of purgatory in the next episode of Walking with Dante. I'm Mark Scarborough. See you soon.